Scripture reading today is Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrena, who, when they had came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news, the news of the things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that, were, that, was, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, in Antioch. It's a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the attendance of everyone that is here that has come out on this Lord's Day. As it, we have been mentioned of, it is a beautiful day, and we're thankful that we have, by God's providential care, to be able to assemble together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Him. And we're thankful for your presence to encourage each and every one that is here this day. Uh, last week I was gone, and... I appreciate Brother Gary for filling in for me. That I think uh, I heard that my job might be in danger. Uh, so appreciate him very much for his willingness to uh, step in while I was away. And I know you were encouraged by his uh, his lesson. I heard a lot of good things. I wish I, I think there was a mistake on the recording, so I didn't get to listen to it. I was I was disappointed myself. So. Uh, but we are, I uh, know you were encouraged by hearing him preach last week. Then we know that Jesus came here to this earth to accomplish something. He came here to do something, to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for sin. As we have remembered in the observance of the Lord's Supper, we have remembered his body and His blood, the new covenant that was established by His blood. We know that Jesus accomplished that. But we also learn that Jesus, by His sacrifice and His death, He also purchased something. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, as Paul was having a discussion with the elders in Ephesus, he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That Jesus, by his sacrificial death, in the shedding of his blood, he also purchased the church. I've heard a lot of people say from time to time that we need to 
preach less about the church. And we need Christianity, not churchianity. And something to that effect. But I would contend that that's an impossibility. And if you're going to preach about Christ, you have to preach about His church. Because Jesus, whenever He came and gave His life, He purchased the church of God. The church was not an accident. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, we learn that the church came about as the eternal wisdom of God. That the church did not happen by an accident. It was not something that was just born out of convenience. It was something that was very intentional. It was planned. And Jesus gave His very life for it. And so we need to recognize that Jesus embraced the mission to purchase His church. In the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18, Jesus told Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That Jesus, He understood that building His church, finishing it and completing it, was part of His mission to come to this earth. And so we need to understand and embrace a study of what the church is. It needs to be something that is taught on frequently. It needs to be something that we come to understand conceptually and what it means for us and how we live our lives as a part of the Lord's church. And what we need to also understand just out of principle very early on is that when we speak about the church, when we write or read about the church in the New Testament, we're not reading about a location. We're not reading about a building. Many times we might be going down the street and we might say, well, that's a beautiful church. And we're talking about the building. And yet the Scriptures never refer to the church as a place or as a building, as some structure. It is always about the people of God. That's the church. Even whenever we might teach our kids that here's the church, here's the steeple, look inside, there's all the people. That's really the church right there. That's what we need to be teaching our kids. That whenever you open up the doors, that's the church. The people, that's the church, as we might say. And so the church of Christ is something that we need to understand as, from a concept. We need to appreciate what Jesus has done, that He has purchased us. He has redeemed us as His people, as His church. And there are some things that we need to also understand at the outset. That as we read about the church, there are passages such as Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, where Jesus says that I will build my church. And he's talking about the singular, indivisible church, the universal church, we might describe it as. Sometimes the church is used in that sense, in a universal sense, to include all believers, all the saved people from every generation, from every uh, century, in every millennia, all the way back from in time. In the book of Hebrews, I think this is an important passage for us to recognize how the Bible will sometimes refer to the universal church. In Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 22 where the Hebrew writer says here on this occasion, in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That he says this general assembly, the church of the firstborn, those who are enrolled in heaven, that is where they are already. The people who have gone on before us and who are in heaven, and that we here on earth, we comprise of the universal church. That is one sense in which the Scriptures speak about the church. But another sense is talking about churches in a plural sense. Not that there are multiple churches that Christ died for, but that there are local churches. There are local churches. You just have to turn to one page in your Bible probably in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, in chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where you see that Jesus has a message for His churches. And that He has a message for each local congregation of God's people. And it begins with an address to the church in Ephesus in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 1. In verse 8, to the church in Smyrna. In verse 12, to the church in Pergamum. In verse 18, the church in Thyatira. In uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, the church in Sardis. In chapter 3, verse 7, the church in Philadelphia. In chapter 3, verse 14, the church in Laodicea. Now you have these seven different local churches that are in different locations. That is oftentimes how we read the New Testament. We have this sense of a located church. A local church where it's a limited number of believers that are limited by geography, namely. That they are limited in, in a located place, a permanent place of some sort that they have here. That they are together in this sense. And so you have the universal sense and the located sense. And many times, I think there are some issues that happen whenever we start trying to take the universal church and trying to activate it in some way in our work and our method, that is an impossibility. It's impossible to activate the universal church just by its very nature because there are many people who have gone on before us who are dead and gone, who have been heroes of faith and examples that we look to and cling to and that we love dearly, but that it's impossible for us to worship with them or do anything to uh, with them because they have gone on before us. But whenever we talk about the universal church and the local church, there are some unique characteristics that distinguish this as a local church. That's what I want to really begin to study this morning is understanding what the local church really is. What are some of the characteristics that make a local church a local church? And first off, we have to understand that as we're talking about this this morning, that we are talking about believers in Christ. People who have been baptized to have their sins washed away. 
That these are people who have come together, who believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and that they have dedicated their life in following Him and being a disciple. And that they want to worship God. They want to make their way to heaven. That is part and parcel to understanding the local church. And so we cannot take that for granted. We have to understand that at the outset. But there are some other unique characteristics that I believe that are important for us to recognize and understand about the local church. And the first thing is is that the local church requires church membership. That's something that we need to understand that is important to this discussion. Because without members of a local church, there would be no local church. You wouldn't talk about a local church. You wouldn't have a, a sermon about the local church if there was no local church membership. This is an important note to make just about the nature of a local church. That it necessitates a local community of believers. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, after Peter had spoken on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, and in verse 42, we learn a very important principle. After these people had been baptized into Christ, we see this principle that believers in Christ are united together in a community of believers. That we are to be drawn together. That is what the Gospel has done. In Acts chapter 2, and in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You just get this amazing sense of community as you read that, don't you? That they're sharing their lives with one another. These Christians, these fellow believers, the very first Christians that we read about in the Bible, they are sharing what they have together. They're eating together. They're involved with each other in their life. Christians are called to live in community. That we are to develop relationships and form bonds of friendship that would strengthen us together because we are weaker alone. We are weaker when we are alone. And that's what you read about in the book of Acts in chapter 11. In the passage that we heard in our reading this morning in Acts chapter 11 in verse 19 that whenever they came to Antioch, they formed a local church there. That these believers who had come from all these different parts of the Roman Empire, they have settled in Antioch, and now they are going to begin worshiping together. And the first disciples there that were first called Christians. And we are called to have a community of believers 
That's a very important point to understand, and that begins to show a pattern of what God expects of His people. In Acts chapter 14, in Acts chapter 14, and in verse 21, in Acts chapter 14 and in verse 21, as Paul had visited these different locations, these different places, and he established local churches. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, it says, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There were the establishment of these local churches. If local churches were not to exist, if local church membership was not a requirement, then why go about establishing local churches? If I could just be a Christian to myself and worship in my home without anyone else, why bother? You see, whenever we read about a local church, it requires a local church membership. And that's what we see in the Scriptures here. That as we come throughout the book of Acts and we look at various passages and examples, we read about how Paul joined the disciples in Jerusalem. After he became a Christian, after he came to Antioch, or to Jerusalem, rather, in Acts chapter 9, Paul came to Jerusalem, and it says there in verse 26 that he was trying to associate with the disciples. That he wanted to join himself with the disciples. They were afraid of him. They had not fully understood that he had been converted and turned to believe in Christ. But Barnabas came and he represented him and defended him. It says in verse 27, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And we learn in verse 28 that they had fellowship with him. That he went about with them moving about freely in Jerusalem. Paul wanted to join the local church. In Acts chapter 18, in Acts the 18th chapter, in Acts chapter 18 and in verse 27, when the saints in Achaia, which I think primarily he's probably talking about the city of Corinth and the church in Corinth, that they began to recognize Apollos as a brother in Christ. In Acts chapter 18, notice with me in verse 27. In Acts chapter 18 and in verse 27, it says, And when... He wanted to go across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, where he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that Apollos was accepted and received by the brethren in Achaia. Now there was this letter of commendation 
And they said, hey, this is a good guy. He is a, a believer. Recognize him. And so they did. But I think one of the most important passages, it's a very subtle point. But if you would, turn with me to the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, a lot of times whenever we read Paul's letters or any of the letters in the New Testament where they started writing about people who lived back then, that you know this personal correspondence, that we kind of read it and we let it go in one year out the other because we don't know these people or anything like that. But if you would pay more attention to it, I think you will find some nuggets of truth that are so important. And local church membership is one of those things. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 9, notice here, as Paul is writing and he is beginning to wind his letter down and he begins acknowledging certain people and naming them, he says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, or as the New American Standard supplies the word number, one of your number. Because that you is a plural you. So Paul is saying, Onesimus is one of you. He's one of your number. And he's not writing to the whole city of Colossae, is he? He's writing to the church at Colossae. He's saying, Onesimus is one of your members. In verse 12, you have Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of your number. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of of God. What all these passages are showing us is that local church membership is the is a necessity if you have a local church. It's part of it. That we are expected to be a part of a living growing, thriving community of believers in Christ. That we should not seek to just be off by ourselves secluded. That we need to find connection with other Christians. Certainly, I think this concept is an important one. But it's one that can be difficult to see at times. I think we need to recognize that. Because all these passages that we have read, if I would love it if Paul had written something like, you must join a local church. That would solve the whole question of if this was a requirement or not, right? But he didn't. But you see, based on just these examples alone, that this is implied. And things can be taught through implication. Even if it's not explicit, it can be taught through implication. And that if you think that you can be part of the universal church without being part of a local church, I think that requires a huge step that 
you don't have any passage of Scripture to support that idea either. We need to recognize that being part of a local church is the experience that we are supposed to have, that God intended for us, because there are several things that just would not be able to be done if we were not part of a local church. Consider some of those things with me for just a moment. If Christians do not join a local church, then they will not have elders to protect them. They wouldn't have elders to oversee them, would they? They wouldn't have shepherds to shepherd them, feed them, guide them, guard and protect them. And you think there's a principle about shepherding that Jesus lays down. I think that's so important. That shepherding is supposed to be personal. In John the 10th chapter, in John chapter 10, Jesus, He's not an elder in the church, obviously, but He describes Himself as a shepherd. And so elders in the church, they can look to Jesus and learn from Him and how He shepherded. And Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own and my own know me. That you see that there is a shepherd and sheep relationship, don't you? And Jesus is saying, I know the sheep and the sheep know me. That requires at least two people, doesn't it? In, in the context of a local church, it requires shepherd and a flock. You can't do that by yourself. If you think that Christianity is just something that you can live out by yourself completely alone, I really am sorry for you in many ways because I think you're missing out on what God fully intended for us. Church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus was talking about forgiveness and restoring someone who has been caught up in a sin... In Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 17, he talks about the process of trying to restore this person. If someone has sinned against you, you go to him alone. You talk to him. If he doesn't listen to you, then you bring two or three others with you. If he doesn't listen then, and if he doesn't repent, then you go and tell it to the church. How could you engage in that process if it's just you? That's, again, an impossibility. And in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, we learn that we are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You think about that. Boy, if it's just my way or the highway, I don't have any problems. I get to do what I want to do, don't I? I don't have to worry about unity because I am completely unified with myself. But unity requires submission to one another. That sometimes I might have to bend a little bit to give way to what you want to do. Or vice versa. Unity is something that requires more than one person. But these three things at least, and I'm sure there could be a longer list that we could put our minds together and think of.
And if we do not join a local church, then you don't get these three things at least. Being part of a local church is something that's so important and it's something that God requires and expects of us. And that if we're talking about a local church, then we have to understand that we need to be part of a local church. We need to be members of that congregation. But a second characteristic of a local church is that a local church is a group of Christians who recognize, share, and submit to a shared oversight. That they're recognizing and obeying qualified leaders. The passage in Acts chapter 14 that we looked at a few moments ago, where Paul went back and visited those local churches and he established elders in every church. That is something that we recognize in the Scriptures. That Paul, as he would write to the church at Philippi, he wrote that letter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, to the elders and deacons in Ephesus and to all the saints. Now we see that he wrote to the elders there, the qualified leaders that had been appointed. We read about the qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In the first 13 verses of that chapter, we read about qualifications for elders and for deacons. That these elders and deacons in a local congregation must meet certain qualifications and they are to be appointed and serve. That again, this is going to involve an understanding of church membership. We'll talk some more about that in a few moments. But members of the local congregation... They are to submit and appreciate and obey these leaders. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. He doesn't call these people elders per se, but I think he's absolutely describing an aspect of the work of shepherds and elders. That they are those that we need to appreciate because of their labor among us in the Lord and who instruct us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. We need to appreciate those leaders. We need to obey them and submit to them. That is something that becomes difficult if we're not a member of a local church, doesn't it? What leaders would you have? You wouldn't have any. And someone might begin to argue that church membership is some man-made concept and teaching. But whenever someone begins to say that, I begin to really question in my mind, do they fully understand the importance of submission and obeying others? It takes a great deal of humility to be a Christian. 
takes a lot of humility to be a member of a local church. Because you don't get to just do what you want to do. You have to submit to others. And an important part of being in a local church is learning how to submit to each other. We don't always get our way. We have to obey and recognize, appreciate, and submit to qualified leaders. And even something I think is important that we don't always touch on as much as we need to, even elders submit. They submit. Because you get a three, four, five, six men, they're not all going to see things eye to eye on everything all the time. And so they may have to relent a little bit. There's some give and take. And there's some things that they might have to say, okay, we'll do it this way, not my way. And even in that kind of situation, they're submitting to the rule of the eldership, not just you know, saying, well, I'm an elder, I get to do what I want to do. They submit to the eldership. We're all, as Christians, to, called to submit. Leadership in the local church has a limited jurisdiction. I think that's so important to understand. That elders in the church are not given great jurisdiction over all the churches. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, Peter says here at the end of this, towards the end of this uh, letter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. He says there in verse 1 and in verse 2, he's writing to the elders among you, and then he tells them to shepherd the flock among you. Now, shepherds in the local church, these elders, they're not given jurisdiction over a different flock than which they themselves are a part. Elders in another local church, city, county, state, country, they don't have any jurisdiction over what we do here at Westside. Now, each local church is autonomous. And each local church in their autonomy, their self-governance, their self-independence, that they submit to the same oversight. That's an important characteristic. When we come to recognize and talk about the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, the church here in Wichita at Westside, we're all recognizing that there are different leadership in those churches. But each church must submit to the same oversight if they are to be faithful and pleasing to God. The local church assembles together to worship God. That's probably the most visible thing that we do as a church, isn't it? Our collective assembly to come and worship the Lord. Especially on the Lord's Day. When we have come together to pray, to sing, to observe the Lord's Supper, to give of our means, to hear sermons and Bible classes, instruction from God's Word. The local church assembles together. That's one of the most visible activities of the local church. And it's one of the things that most people think of whenever we talk about 
what the work of the church is. We think about the worship component of the church. The local church and each individual Christian needs to understand the importance of that, of assembling together. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, the Hebrew writer said, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we need to be not putting church on the back burner. We need to put it at the front. We need to think about the worship services that when we have another opportunity to go somewhere else, that no, I'm busy that night. I'm busy for Bible study on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be with my brethren. Or on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. I'm going to be here to worship the Lord. We're not going to put that as something that, well, if I have time or if it's convenient, I'll come back. No. When the Lord's Day comes around, we ought to be with our brethren. When we have an opportunity to study God's Word, whether it be Vacation Bible School, that's coming up in a month now. When we have an opportunity to engage in a a Bible study, a, a Gospel meeting, or a series of lessons of some sort, that we need to make that a priority where we're going to be with our brethren to engage in worship and study and edification together. The local church assembles together to worship God. And a final characteristic of the local church is that the local church works together. You think about so much of the New Testament writing and and what you read about the church and the local churches, that they are active. You go read the book of Philippians. Philippians, Paul is praising the church at Philippi for their fellowship with him in the gospel. He is so thankful and appreciative of them because they are partners in preaching the gospel. And that involved a financial component. Absolutely, it did. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul thanks them for that gift, that generous gift. There was a collection that had been taken up by the church in Philippi that they had supported the preaching of the gospel. That's something that we are striving to work together in. At the church here in Wichita, we are striving to work for sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel. But then you think about our work of edification. Our work in correcting someone who might be in sin, offering encouragement to others through exhortation. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, which is a favorite passage of mine, in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 11, as Paul is writing about the importance and significance of building each other up, growing up in our faith and our maturity in Christ, In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 it says, And He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That we offer these different roles 
elders or, or teachers or, or evangelists, that we all have a role to play in building each other up so that we are all able to grow in the body of Christ. As he goes on in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 16, talking about how we are to build each other up in the body of Christ from whom the whole body, the whole body, not just a part of the body, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. You know what the most important word in that phrase is? The word every. Every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What Paul is really trying to get across here is that the local church will only be as strong as its weakest member. The local church will only be as active as its least active member. If something isn't being done, I know it's so easy to say, well, the elders aren't doing their job. Sean needs to do this or that. Or the deacons can do it. That's not the right attitude. When we see that something's not being done, we need to say, I can do it. That's what we need to do. Because we work together. What are you contributing to the work here at Westside? There's no room for being disgruntled and discouraging. There's no time to waste because you don't want to be involved and you think it's somebody else's job. Instead of waiting for someone else to take the lead, or to ask you to do something, take the initiative and ask yourself, what can I do to help Westside be a stronger, more faithful congregation? Because the work that God has for us to do is bigger than myself and yourself or the eldership or the deacons or anyone else. It takes each and every part. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see. From the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. What is your role? If you're not involved, sadly you might be part of the problem. Don't be part of the problem. Be a part of the work. Because I promise you, it's enriching and rewarding from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. When that happens, the result will follow. The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When we work together, then that's the recipe for spiritual growth and a strong local church. The local church has a membership of individual Christians who work and serve together. The local church should have leaders that the saints submit to. The local church 
assembles together to worship. The local church has a work and a mission that they work together to accomplish. When you come to believe in Jesus Christ, when you are obedient to the Gospel of Christ and have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism, the Lord adds you to His church. And you can become part of a local church where you're contributing and helping and growing and thriving so that you can make heaven your home one day. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we want you to become a child of God. Don't leave here without becoming a Christian today. Have your sins washed away and to be enjoying a new and a right relationship with the Lord. But maybe it is that you have become a child of God and you have been led astray by the temptation of the devil and the snares that he has laid for you. Will you not make correction of your life? Repent of your sins. Come confessing those things that you've done which are wrong. Let us know how we can help you. We're here to help you and encourage you in whatever way we possibly can. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come now as we stand and we sing?